Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up, and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. The worst advice I've ever been given. I thought I'd share with you six pieces of advice that I can remember that were bad. Some of them turned out to be good because they motivated me. Um, But uh, yeah, I'll share those with you in a moment just to give you some context Uh, I actually think it's a really good question to ask and discuss what's the worst advice you've ever been given, because I think you can get an insight into the kind of people people surround themselves with. I think you get an idea what motivates people. Um, And at the end of every single podcast episode I do where I interview a guest, I ask them, I have a series of about six set questions. And I always ask, what's the best advice you ever received? What's the worst advice you ever received? Uh, And so if you want to listen to over 100 billionaires, 100 millionaires and very successful people share their best and worst advice, you can listen to my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur. This recording will go on there. There was a Facebook thread in one of my Facebook groups, The Disruptive Entrepreneur Facebook group. Uh, and someone asked this question, what's the worst advice you'd ever been given? And I actually do think, like I said, it's a good question. So I thought I quickly went and wrote one, then two, then three, then four, then five. It was really easy for me to, um, you know, come up with some of these because I can remember some of them, though not a lot of it, because part of it uh, you just forget, don't you? Some of the um, some of the guests I've interviewed are like, well, don't remember the worst advice. Why would I remember the worst advice? But some of them can really remember it and then, um, you know, hold hold on to it and use it as motivation. So if you're watching the live, let me know in the comments what you feel is the worst advice you've ever been given. Sharon's just said, don't buy property. Yeah, it's a noose around your neck. Now, I've definitely had people over the years that would say property wouldn't work. Uh, property doesn't work, property won't go up in value anymore, property stopped going up in value, it can't go up in value anymore. And of course, that consistently proves to be bad advice. So I think that's a good one. So thanks for that, Sharon. Let me know what you think, Um, any advice you've been given that maybe motivates you because you want to do it, um, or you just think it's really bad advice. Uh, This one was common on the thread, uh, and that was uh, never give up. I agree, I think you should give up on things that aren't working for you on things you're holding on to. You know, there are things you should let go of. So actually, this whole never, ever, ever give up is not always good advice. Now, the funny thing with good advice is it can be bad advice for the wrong person or in the wrong context. And bad advice put in the right context could actually be really good. So obviously, never give up on your dreams. Never give up on yourself. Never give up on, you know, the right business model that you're in at the time. But never, ever give up. You should give up bad habits, bad behaviors, triggers, um, emotions that you can't control, bad investment decisions. You know, the sunk cost fallacy, which is where people chase investing more or holding because they've already lost. Um, Jeremy has just said, stop dreaming. 
That's a, yeah, by uh, by his mother. Yeah, I think that dreaming is a great thing to do. Of course, all dreams are no action. You know, I, I see the downside in that. So anyway, I'm supposed to be giving you my um, worst advice. Uh, so one of them is that events are dead and everything will be online. Uh, now, uh, a marketing manager I had probably a decade ago said events are dead. Everything will be with online within two years. You need to stop doing events and you need to be all online. Ten years later, more than £100 million in revenue from events. And this chap, I believe, ended up working in a bar in, in, in Spain. I feel like that was bad advice. And people generally tend to look at one extreme, don't they? Like at the moment, that question's probably been raised again. Should we be doing all online events now because of the lockdown, the quarantine? Has the, the landscape of face-to-face -face events, whether that's training or you know cinemas, theatres, all of these things, um, shops, has it all changed? Well, in reality, things will often get back to some kind of normal or things will evolve um, but why can't you be a hybrid? You know, many good um, retail companies, they have high street and online. Why can't we be face-to-face -face events and online? And that's probably more where I'm going. So that was certainly bad advice that all live events are dead and we should all go online. I think people crave connection. I think that, you know, in our world of property and business training, networking is really important. You know, actually meeting and speaking to people, that's a big element of connections, joint ventures, partnerships, etc. The next thing is someone said to me that um, books that are written by more than one person will never work. No one buys books with co-authors. And um, my business partner and I um, wrote, uh, co-authored a book called Property Investing Secrets, then co-authored a book called Cash in a Property Crash. And they did really, really well. Um, probably the best-selling property books in this country for the last 10 years consistently. So that wasn't good advice. And, you know, our partnership um, has been really successful and we felt that it was the right thing to partner in the books as well. Uh, the next thing um, is uh, an ex-boss of Mark and I said that we would never succeed on our own. He will crush us. We will never succeed on our own. It wasn't really advice. It was more of a threat. Um, but, but I enjoyed taking that one because that definitely did motivate me. And since he said that, it's probably been 125 million later. Um, and I believe things that, that I don't think uh, he's done quite the same revenue, put it that way. There's some, he's gone on a little bit of a wandering path. I'm not here to criticize anyone, so I won't say what that is. OK, the fourth one, uh, this is common, but I don't think it's particularly good advice often, is follow one course until successful or follow one thing until successful or just focus on one thing. I uh, created the 70-20-10 model in my book, Multiple Streams of Property Income. Uh, and I think it's really risky just to be completely in one business model or in one niche. You know, what if that get dis gets disrupted? What if there's a lockdown or quarantine? What if you're ill? Um, I was coaching a lady today whose dad was a plumber, had a stroke, couldn't do it anymore. If he'd have had an a online e-commerce business on the side, he could have pivoted into that. Even the people that look like they focus on one thing, they do keynote speaking fees, they have brand endorsements, and they have multiple streams of income. I think in any one moment of time, all you can do is focus on one thing. I'm doing this live video. Um, well, actually, I'm also recording it as a podcast, but I'm not doing anything else. So, you know, you can't be distracted. Uh, definitely not. When you're doing a particular task, you should be doing that task. 
But um, in reality, I think you need multiple streams of income. I think you need more than one business model. And I think you need to be diversified in your investments, for example. So I often think, you know, pure focus on one thing or follow one course until successful is maybe... It's not bad advice per se. It's just extreme advice. But extreme advice can become bad. Um, Next then is ideas without action are useless. Now, this one is not not everyone's going to agree with. And that's okay because everyone is entitled to my opinion. Um, But a lot of people say, oh, well, ideas are nothing without action. That's not true. Ideas are lots of things. Now, are you going to be successful if you never take action? Of course not. Should you implement what you learn as much as you can? Of course you should. But there's definitely going to be a big amount of unconscious learning, you know, what they call unconscious competence. And if you keep listening to um, audiobooks and listening to podcasts, um, you know, and you keep talking to um, interesting, fascinating, smart people, uh, and you keep going on courses and educate yourself, you might feel like you're not immediately implementing every single action step, but unconsciously you will be. And you will also be build, building up your knowledge bank for when you need it. So, um, of course, you need to implement what you learn as much as you can. But actually filling your brain with really good ideas and really good information and courses and education and podcasts and audiobooks and conversations and you know advice from mentors, etc. I don't think that's ever wasted. I think that that's always there locked in the back of your brain for when you're ready. What you've also got to remember is a lot of people, they're starting out or they're changing and pivoting their business model or their career. And therefore, it takes weeks or months to research to figure out what you're going to do. So you shouldn't always just mindlessly, or you know, do massive action, massive action, massive action. You can take massive action down the wrong path in the wrong niche because you haven't taken time to consider what's right for you. And then I still hear this one really regularly today, even from, you know, pretty successful people. I don't agree with it, I have to say. And that is always higher on attitude over experience. I don't agree with that. I don't want a positive coder. I want a coder who can actually code. So if he's a bit or she is a bit quirky or, you know, they're maybe not that social or not, they're not really a people person. You don't need a people person, you know, who's um, really living your brand values and wearing your T-shirt and wearing your underpants. You, you know, I don't, everyone doesn't need to wear progressive underpants. The coder needs to be a great coder. They need to be really good at their job. And the thing with attitude is you have to teach them experience and teaching them experience is expensive. So a lot of people say this always higher on attitude. Um, but uh, like a lot of advice is not holistic. It is extreme or unbalanced. So in some roles, like in admin roles or simple roles or roles where we're looking for growth, I probably would want the right attitude and the right culture fit for sure. Um, a culture fit is really important, by the way, but that's another the comment altogether. Um, but in if they're coding or designing or, you know, maybe they're editing, I need them to have really good experience at doing the role. And sometimes I'd actually probably hire experience over attitude. But here's the thing with these best advices, worst advices, best advice, worst advices. People polarize them. Um, you know, uh, property is better than stocks. Stocks are better than property. Well, it actually depends. And when you add leverage, it's probably property. A lot of it is about timing. So um, ideally, you get attitude and experience, don't you? But usually with experience comes a little bit of a chip on the shoulder, you know, a little bit, I want to do it my way. And I'm okay with that. You know, I've got some quite quirky people in my office, um, you know, and many of 
actually, many of the people who are real champions of the culture in the early days, and I'm, I'm making some generalizations here, but they, that sometimes people do that to make up for the fact that they're not quite got the, the necessary skills or experience required. Um, and you, you know what? Especially in senior roles, I want them to have done the job. Uh, you know, because people say you can't hire attitude. Maybe you can. I think you can uh, train culture. Um, so the assumption is you can only train experience. You can't train attitude. But I think put people in the right culture, give them a, an inspired vision, believe in them, back them, um, you know, give them training and support. And actually their, their attitude could develop. Hi, it's Rob here, interrupting you with something you may not know about me. I was one of the few people on the planet hand-selected by Facebook to pilot their new supporter program. It's a very small premium model where you can get exclusive content and advance notice or discount of new products and services. So this is what I've done for you. Not only can you get best discounts, for any training that we might run. Not only do you get notified first of any launches we do, we also do supporter meetups, supporter dinners, supporter WhatsApp groups where you have a, a deeper community. I do supporter only ask me anything. I do supporter only content and podcasts. We have a community of 2,500 supporters and I'd love to give you the chance to be one of those. I believe this is the best supporter program in the whole world. Find me a better one, but I don't think you will. So the link is bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. That's bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. I believe the gap between free content and paid content is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a lot of free content out there that's maybe not that good. And for just a few dollars a month, you can get the best content on business, on entrepreneurship, on starting up, on scaling up, on sales, on marketing, on the mindset of being an entrepreneur. So go to bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R right now. So let me know what you think in the comments if you're watching the live. What is the um, worst advice you've ever been given that you can remember? I think it's a really good debate and discussion to, to go over. I'm going to summarize now. So the first one is events are dead. My ex-event manager told me that and 100 million later and we're still growing. We're, you know, we're likely to, I would have thought, grow, I don't know, maybe... 250% in the next five years, I would have thought, with the plans that I've just put in place thanks to the lockdown. Um, and actually, whilst I've created a lots of new online courses, this lockdown has actually made me feel that our events are going to be amazing um, and way more connected and, and more full. And there's going to be more desire and more urgency for them when we come out of lockdown. Um, so I'm more inspired than ever to do events, even though some people would think it's risky. I must admit, I, I do like the contrarian mindset. If people say go left, I like to go right. I do like to observe the masses and do the opposite. I am a bit of a rebel and a contrarian. I can't help myself, but I love proving people wrong. And also, you know, when you're um, not really getting a massive amount of motivation, you're not feeling motivated. Well, some, I know it's maybe not the ideal Zen way to be, um, but sometimes wanting to prove people wrong um, you can actually use as a tool um, to motivate you. Um, so we had one here, get a real job. Yeah, I've had that a couple of times, get a real job. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't really get that so much anymore because I think um, I've gone beyond needing to prove that anymore. Um, so the second was books, co-authors of books wouldn't work. 
became you know the best-selling property investors in the UK, uh, best-selling property investing book authors in the UK probably for a decade straight. Um, Mark and I will never succeed on my own. We, we will be crushed. Yeah, well, um, you know, what we found is everyone that's left us to go and do their own thing, none of them have, have usurped us, got anywhere near the size and scale. I don't say that from bravado. It's just a lot of people think the grass is greener on the other side. They think it's easier to work without us. Um, you know, Mark and I did um, fly the nest when we had an employer, um, you know, who we kind of fell out with and parted ways. And this was 2006. And, you know, I remember him saying, I'm going to crush you. You'll never succeed without us. You'll never succeed on your own. And it really motivated me, really motivated. And if you knew what he was up to now. Um, so I do believe um, that, uh, you know, if you want, desire to be an entrepreneur um, and you desire to be successful, I, I think that you don't have to um, keep the safety net of an employed job. Now I have a partner, a business partner. I think it's vital to have a business partner. I think it's vital to get support and guidance and accountability and, um, you know, with someone who's been there and done it or someone who can, is the yin to your yang and, you know, you treat them well and, um, you know, you, you look after them and you make sure that they're different skill sets and, and, and job roles and positions to you so that you, you know, you've got the best of both worlds. I think that that's absolutely vital. Um, focus on one thing. Um, or, you know, follow one course until successful. I don't think that's particularly good advice because I think you do need to be diversified in your investments. And I think that you do need some hedging, you know, against uh, coronaviruses or quarantines or disruptions to your niche. Now, that doesn't mean you should spread yourself really thin. I just think that you should always have a, more than one business model on the go if you don't want to um, risk disruption or, um, di you know, you, you might just want to pack it in one day and you haven't got anything else or um, you might get ill or something might happen in your industry. There might be regulation um, and it could really hurt you. So that's why I designed the 70-20-10 time investment model of dividing your time 70% into your main income stream or business model, 20% into your secondary and 10% um, into your tertiary or the one that you're researching. And then finally, when people say always hire an attitude over experience, no, 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 no. Hire some people are experienced and some people have attitude and you can teach attitude and your culture as well as experience. Um, so hopefully you found that useful. Just a short Friday night to see us. I don't have a life and you know that. I love you all. If you think this has been useful, please do share it around. Um, I don't ask for much, but if you share my work, it does make a difference to me. Um, and again, um, if you could share um, your thoughts on, um, you know, what do you think um, is bad advice or the worst advice that you see other people get or you hear? Just had a question here. Um, would you not agree that you should focus on one thing to get it established before you diversify, though? Um, well, well, this is why I created the 70-20-10. I, I think you're absolutely right. Otherwise, people get distracted easily. There is no doubt entrepreneurs have the, the shiny penny syndrome. There's no doubt we love a new idea. There's no doubt we just, you know, we, dist we are distracted because that's often what entrepreneurs are. We take opportunities, um, you know, and we spot opportunities and we like the newness and the variety. And if you just do that five, 10, 20 times over, there's no doubt that that is bad for you and you're never going to get anywhere. But, you know, I'm talking about worst advice, which is kind of contrarian to um, conventional advice. So this is why I devised a bit of a plan. But what if you only do serviced accommodation and then that gets regulated? What if you only do buy to let and then that market tanks? Um, you know, what if you do a particular training business and it gets regulated? Then you've got nothing. 
So I believe it's wise to spend about 70% of your time on your main thing, really focus on that and then get that leveraged, outsourced, you know, higher up, get it more residual and more passive because it's active at the start. And then 20% of your time. So, you know, for example, you might build your property portfolio 70% of your time and you might do your training business 20% of the time or vice versa. You know, and I have income from podcasts and books and various different properties and letting agents and various training businesses. And often when progressive property is doing really well, our progressive success business training company, we can't focus on quite as much and it might not be doing as good. And then our e-commerce courses really flew in the start of the lockdown and that was actually outperforming the property training courses. The property training courses are probably a few years closer to regulation. There's probably more critics in that area. So that could potentially get disrupted. Of course, the lockdown, if you didn't immediately pivot, you know, like one of the reasons we really thrived in the lockdown, because we really did, and, and I won't give you the numbers, but they're eye-wateringly good, our sales and our profit margins, like seven figures. Um, uh, the reason we were able to pivot so quickly is because we already had some online courses. Um, and so we were able to create them very quickly. And had we never done an online course because we'd only focused on live events, well, then it would have been too slow and we wouldn't have been able to react. So I don't know if you've read my book, Multiple Streams of Property Income, where I talk about the 70-20-10 um, time division strategy. Uh, I think that is, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and I've spent a lot of time either just solely focusing on one thing. What if you put three or five years into something and it dies? You know, what if you're an inventor and you put all your time and money into into something and it dies? And, you know, there's these stories of Dyson, you know, put everything into Dyson, 20 million pounds worth of personal money. And then he succeeded. Boom. And these are these like dramatic, exciting stories. But there must be 100 people who put all their life savings and they remortgage their house and they put it all into a business model and it died and they lost everything. Uh, and I think you need to hedge against that. So um, good question stroke comment. And hopefully that's um, a helpful answer. Definitely switching from one strategy to another, to another, to another, to another, you know, without properly finishing it. It's like, um, you know, planting a seed, coming back going, oh, there's no tree. Then going and planting a seed and coming back the next day and going, there's no tree. And then planting another seed because that seed screwed you over and that seed doesn't work. And um, you know, that seed scammed you. You know, people are always blaming other people, aren't they, for, you know, what ultimately didn't work out. Um, but you're absolutely right. If you're switching from one strategy to another, to another, to another without any completion. This is why I wrote Routine Equals Results. And, you know, a lot of people have read the book, but they're not implementing it or they don't even know I wrote this book. But I actually don't multitask really at all anymore. I used to. I mean, OK, I'm recording a podcast now. Um, and I'm doing a video at the same time, but I'm essentially doing the same thing. But, you know, you, you know, when you're being multitasked, it doesn't feel very good. You know, you can sense people are distracted, you know, when they get their phone out or whatever. Um, so and, and you, when you're multitasking, you're forgetting one thing that you're doing, like going for a walk and listening to podcasts, doing a workout and listening to podcasts, net time leverage. That's different. But multitasking is jumping from task to task to task to task and having, you know, 15 windows open and writing five books in any one go. That's the other extreme. And that's why people say fo follow one course until successful. But, um, but follow one course until successful is the other extreme to that, which is jump across many different things and don't get any of them finished. Whereas if you have a clear, proper routine, you know, I've been getting up at 4 a.m. and I've, I've done most of my work by 7 a.m. And I know when I'm doing my calls and I'll batch all my calls and I'll do 15 of them together on a really long walk. 
Um, and then you don't get overwhelmed. You don't get people phoning you all the time, interrupting you, starting a job, um, getting interrupted, starting another job, getting interrupted. It's all just too chaotic. So if you follow the, the strategies in my book, Routine Equals Results, I only do calls in an allotted time. I only do meetings in an allotted time. I only do Zooms in an allotted time. I only do podcasts at an allotted time. I do my strategy and vision and work in the morning, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., before anyone gets up, before I can be interrupted. No one's on WhatsApp. No one's messaging me at that time in the morning. And so you get a lot done. And then what you find is you don't switch from task to task to task. So that's called task jumping. Uh, and absolutely right. In the property world, you do see people jump from SA to deal packaging to buy to let, to, um, you know, to um, commercial conversion, to uh, options. in, in st- Because they're planting a seed and expecting the tree the next day. So there's got to be a certain amount of uh, realism, in t- you know, put into uh, your expectations of what are what deemed to be successful. OK, cool. This has turned into a bit of a and a but that's cool. I-, I love that. So I'll embrace that. Um, OK, so John Paul doesn't have a life either. So he's free for his one to one call. He booked a one to one call with me. So that's fine. Um, what's your thoughts on the missing link of followership? I don't understand that. I don't know what you mean by the missing link of followership. So if you could explain that. Um, what is your advice in finding a business partner? For me, having business partner, by the way, I've got one business partner that most people know of, Mark Homer, but I've actually got many business partners and I love having business partners. I love having someone to bounce ideas off, to create the energy, that enthusiasm, someone there with you to support you, you to support them. You know, one plus one equals three or one plus one equals three squared. Um, you, you know, you, you go far further with other people. Um, I think you've invited my staff and my business partners, my trainers and my business partners, not just my business partner. Um, I think it's really important you find someone who's got a complementary skill set um, and, and does the things you don't and likes the things you don't and is a good counterbalance to you. If you're too similar, that can be sometimes chaotic or destructive. It can work as long as you clearly differentiate roles and responsibilities and you learn respect. I think it's a great way to learn about respect and to learn about how to manage people and learn about how you manage your emotions and um, you know, because often when people are looking for business partners, they're like, this is what I want. This is what I want. What about me? You do this for me. I want this. I want this. Well, I believe a business partnership has got to be equitable. And what can you do for them and how can you serve them? Um, yeah. So red flags for, for looking for business partners are, you know, loads of business partners and they all talk really badly of them. You know, I've got lots of business partners and we've had a few that have moved on, but as a percentage, way more that have stuck for the long term. I've got lots of people that have worked with me for 10 years. Um, so, you know, maybe loads of companies set up and gone, obviously, if they've gone bust once or twice. Um, I think um, when people make a big habit of talking really badly of people, um, look, we all need someone to lean on and in a, in a private environment, that's not so bad. But I think if there's a lot of unleashing and always talking really badly of people, I do. I think that's a red flag. Um, so, yeah, there's some things to think about there. Andy. Okay. Don't track your net worth is the worst advice. Yeah. I mean, who would give you advice not to track your net worth? You cannot master what you do not measure. Absolutely. You need to track your net worth. I did um, a a live yesterday and I also put it on the money podcast. And I I wrote a quote about my 
I read a quote about Mike Tyson on responsibility and he said he, he just had um, no responsibility whatsoever and he was worth 400 million. He had all these people around him spending all of his money, lawyers here, entourage there, left, right and centre. He knew, knew, had no idea how much he was earning, no idea how much he was spending and he went bust. And by the way, it was the same for Michael Jackson, MC Hammer and all sorts of people who earned hundreds of millions. You absolutely must track your net worth. You cannot master what you do not measure. And by the way, you don't need a huge amount of money. You don't need 400 million to be very wealthy. All right, how do you deal with feelings of being stuck or confused in your business model? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't generally tend to feel that because I generally tend to have a lot of ideas. So one thing I think that really helps is uh, maybe um, compartmentalizing some time in your diary and coming up with some ideas. Um, so I do that in the morning, you know, when I've had my coffee at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., because I think you're one good idea, one inspired idea away from, you know, re really changing things. Um, I generally tend not to give up on businesses, no matter how hard they are. Um, and generally will tend to go through the challenges because I don't, it's, it's just me. I'm just not really very good at giving up on things. And so you do have to sometimes accept that sometimes along the way, you're looking at that sea going, where's my tree? And actually the roots are growing. Um, but um ideation and, and brainstorming. I think um, sometimes you can get told something a lot of times, but actually you don't necessarily implement it. I think all of us at times, can't we? I've certainly had people say to me, Rob, I've told you that a load of times and I can think of people I work with and I think I've told you that 15 times um, and you, you, they weren't ready or they had stuff going on. So have you implemented everything that you've you know already got and already um, put in place um, because most people haven't. I, I think looking to disrupt that industry, how can you do things different? How can you do things better? Uh, that that cer certainly helps. I mean, it depends on the business model as well, because sometimes um, the business model is um, out of your control. Like if it's a, 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 a niche of property, well, if it's been regulated or um, if it's not the best time in the market, that's out of your control and you've got to try and figure out a way to add value or you've got to evolve your business model a bit. So Mark and I went from single lets to really, really ugly. I'm talking like 100 grand, six bed HMOs. So really awful HMOs. That, and then we sort of pivoted into better HMOs and then buying pubs and offices and police stations and then moved into smaller and then bigger commercial. And that wasn't a straight line that sort of moved and adapted with the market and the, the recession at first and then the relaxing of planning laws and permitted development. So I think to a certain degree, you want to do that, weave that. So I've, obviously, I've created a lot of online training and I was probably a bit stuck in some degree in my training business because, you know, we were doing 15, 20 million a year. But the last two years, the profit wasn't going as much up as the income. And it, we found it really hard to really get the overhead down. And so I probably felt a little bit stuck in that regard. But, you know, the lockdown offered us a way to really reduce the overhead and we reduced the overhead by 50%. And all of a sudden we're making 235 grand net profit, 250 grand net profit month after month. You know, so like back in the, in the sort of numbers of, of our heydays. Um, so, yeah, I think also you've got to be careful in business. And this is not easy to do, but often you know, when you've, when you've got issues in other places or you've got, you're not feeling great, you can transmute that into other areas of your life. And to be able to compartmentalize that 
and just look at your business model for what it is and work with the people that you've got and, um, you know, figure out what you've got to figure out and not let um, other things derail you or make you have a lower belief in yourself. Um, you know, I've had a couple of people, um, three people specifically, I can remember recently that, that accused me of some of my social media content, not maybe having integrity or maybe I'm, a, you know, a little bit of a fraud because, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, you know, and I put myself out there on social media helping people, but, you know, I'm not exactly perfect myself. And they said it in a different way. Um, but I, I, I teach business and entrepreneurship. That's what I teach. And I teach sort of, you know, mindset and personal development. And I live and breathe that stuff. And, um, you know, I know I have massive credibility in that. It doesn't mean I'm perfect in any, every other area of my life. Of course not. Um, but that shouldn't stop you doing what you do. So usually, even if I've got a lot of destructive or distracting things going on in the background, I can actually, instead of it affecting my business, I can use my business as therapy and I can often even, you know, I'm even better in business and I'll make even more money in business, you know, when I've got a lot of stuff going on in the background. Um, sometimes as well, you've just got to keep at it because I don't know um, how patient or impatient you are. Um, but I know a lot of entrepreneurs are really impatient, really, really impatient, really, really impatient. And sometimes they do destruct, self-destruct because they push too hard for things, too soon for things. Um, you, you know, they expect too much. Um, don't forget, we've been in a lockdown. So if this question is coming off the back of the last 12 weeks, well, to be honest, just surviving your business model and it's still being there and then starting, not starting again, but, you know, phoenixing it and, and, and working it back on, um, that, that would be a success in this particular time in the world that we're living in. So often people look at the sort of the three months instead of the three years or the 30 years. You know, Mark and I are always having discussions with each other. How can we stay relevant and make sure we're in business in 50 years time? That would make us 91 and 90. And so we're thinking that long term. Um, and sometimes those short term fears or feelings or impatiences or impetuosities or, um, you know, sometimes spontaneity and jumping into other things, distraction through these emotions, they can really, really affect you. In reality, like let's say you're in property and you buy five properties a year. That's not bad, is it? Let's be honest. Five properties a year, not bad going. So by the way, um, that's assuming you exchange on different days and sometimes you exchange multiple properties on the same day. Assuming different days, then you exchange or complete in five days out of 365. So you have five good days where you actually buy a property and you have 360 days where you're doing all the mess and the setup you know, and the work required. And actually, many days or weeks or months in business are just normal and they're just pretty steady. And sometimes us entrepreneurs are addicted to the excitement, the change, the growth. Um, and, and we can then self-sabotage because actually sometimes we've got to be patient and sit on our hands and let things go and let things nurture and let, let things develop. I think also just continually improving your business model, continually trying to work on it, work on your ability to be great at marketing, work on your ability to sell, to speak, to lead. Make sure you're continually practicing the things that you do in your business, whether it's negotiation or sales or marketing. Sometimes when people get busy, they stop what got them there. You know, and what got you here won't get you there. So a lot of people, they learned really well. They were a humble student. You know, they, they took on board all the advice and they got into that really good 
I really believe in being a humble student and it's sometimes not that easy when you have a level of success. It's not always intentional, but when you have a level of success, you think, oh, I know that, I don't need to learn that. But you need to stay always in that same vein of humility, listening to audiobooks, getting mentors, um, you know, uh, implementing what you're told, even if sometimes you maybe have some doubts and concerns about it and having that faith, um, you know, going on courses and continuing to educate yourself. And I guess we have ebbs and flows. I certainly... Um, felt affected when I hadn't listened to an audio book for over a year. I've listened to two in the last two weeks, maybe even less. The um, Ride of a Lifetime by um, Robert Iger, who was the still is the CEO of Disney, I believe. And then Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter by 50 Cent. And it's brilliant. They're brilliant books. And they really got me G'd up and motivated. And even when the shit going on, you know what? You, you, I've got this. I can do this. So, yeah, that ended up being a long answer. And I gave you lots of um, answers. You know, answers and opportunities there, which are hopefully helpful. Oh, okay, here, right. So not being able to do live events really threw me and took some of the excitement away from my business. I, I had exactly the same experience, by the way. Um, I, I love the live event experience. We've got Nick James on this live who does expert empires. I really love the live event experience. I, I agree. Um, so um, yeah, you some of the passion, the excitement and what you love about businesses was taken away in the lockdown. You have to find a new way to get that need met. Um, and, you know, me um, getting up at three in the morning and creating new online courses and getting them out within a week and commercializing them really well and creating great value that I was able to find a, a new drug, if you like, you know, new motivation, a new buzz. Um, and I've really missed being with people, definitely. And I'm going to have to get myself out there a lot more, although I also paradoxically sometimes struggle socially. Um so what you've got to do, I believe, is to try and pivot quickly, immediately and find that need somewhere else that it still enables you to grow your business. So you, you, Zooms don't replace it, but maybe there's a way that you can replace it with online masterminds um, or use that energy to create some really good extra value. Um, with a lot of our online courses, what we did was offered um, as a, like a two for one, the physical course after the lockdown. Um, so that, you know, we'll be get to do lots of courses again uh, and get the, and I think the energy and the buzz and the excitement and the enthusiasm in, in events, I actually think there's a big chance it could be like at fever pitch and double what it was because we're all going to be, I think, so excited and keen to get out there and meet people. So, you know, the next time I go and do a, um, you know, an event, I can imagine it's just going to feel really good. Until then, you've got to find a way to meet those needs in other ways. Now, you can forgive yourself if you've struggled in this lockdown and you found a pivot really hard and, you know, you've made plans and it's almost like you, sit, you feel like you're making them every week or two and you're not able to implement them and you're feeling lost and you're feeling lonely, um, you know, and, and, and your business model, you're sort of struggling with it and you're struggling to find, you know, what the new model or pivot or strategy and tactic is for you. You should forgive yourself of that. I've been in business 15 years, so I had some experience and some backwind. And so therefore I was able to make that move very quickly. Um, and not many other people have been in business that long and they're able to make that. And I, I, I only really realized that the depth and the importance and the power of my experience in business when this happened. 
The next thing is, I think, I don't know, I, I get an enjoyment out of being a cont contrarian. I get an enjoyment out of proving people wrong. When people doubt me, when they criticise me, when they misunderstand me, when they want me to lose, when they try to break me, when they try and compete against me, um, you know, when they criticise me, when they, you know, when they say that this is dead and what they're doing is wrong. Um, sometimes, of course, you know, I do have a, a thick skin in places and I have, I have the little thin parts as well. Um, but that really motivates me. And I was really motivated in this lockdown um, because I wanted to prove that we were the best in the business. We were the best in the industry by a mile. I wanted to prove that. And I was having conversations with people who are really struggling. And I thought, this is my big chance. This is my opportunity to step up. And all right, I prefer live events. Um, but hey, look, how, how can I make online events the next best thing? And how can I make the online events almost like the live events? Um, yeah, so hopefully that helps. Um, so I've got some nice comments in here. Um, so thank you. I won't read them all out because my content is not about reading all of the um, compliments. But thank you for the nice things that you say. Uh, I'm very grateful. So let me just check. I've done everything. So John said, I want to copy your education, but set up a school for training successful tour guides. Cool. By all means, model me, John, but remember to be yourself too. You know, you can model the traits of the greats, as one of my mentors says, but honour and remember who you are too. And I know that's probably what you meant, but... Um, yeah, I think we're good now by the look of it. All right, cool. Well, that was a fun impromptu Q&A after just thinking I would do a, a, a few worst advice tools and techniques. So thanks for tuning in. I love you all. If you found this useful, please do share it around. A couple of things I'll leave you with. One is to remember to start now and get perfect later. Uh, and two is to remember if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.